Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Is your marriage in crisis? Are you or your spouse struggling to stay together? Could you be in need of Christian counseling that will provide biblical solutions and prayer for the restoration and healing of your marriage? This is Sandy and Walter Fox from Love Savers Ministry. We have experienced the devastation of divorce and understand the pain of a marriage in crisis. But here's the good news. God restored our failed marriage. After seven years of divorce, we have faith that God can heal your marriage. God hates divorce. We have seen marriages restored by the Lord. So if you're looking for anointed marriage counseling, call us today at 631 604 6397. What if one word could change everything for your marriage? According to our best selling guest author, Gary Thomas, it can. And that word is cherish. Drawing from decades of experience with couples, Gary believes that when you and your spouse choose to notice, appreciate, honor, and encourage one another, it will bring hope, light, and life into your relationship. Sandy talks with Gary Thomas today about his newest book, Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. Let's listen. Hi, Gary. Hi, Sandy. It's wonderful to be with you again for another interview. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. On another great book of yours, Cherish. How would you summarize your book, Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage? I believe cherish is something we promised our spouse and our vows. I promise to love and to cherish till death do us part. And when we make good on the promise, I think it creates a certain affection for our spouse, a new respect for our spouse, and it takes the marriage to a new place. Okay. How do you come up with the concept for Cherish? How did you do that? And when did you realize that we are unintentionally negligent of the vows we made? Well, I, I think it was just an awareness that God brought about, in all honesty. I had been speaking and writing on marriage for a couple decades, and I always focused on love. In my books, the chapters would have chapters on love. In my seminars, I'd always end with a session on love. And so God challenged me by reminding me of a word, that word that was in plain sight. You didn't just promise to love your wife. You promised to cherish your wife. And that raised the bar for me. Love is really about sacrifice and service and commitment and perseverance. Cherishing is about delighting and adoring, celebrating, being enthusiastic so that my wife would know I'm not leaving her just because God says I can't leave. 
but I'm with her because she's the delight of my life. And that's how I believe God wants me to treat my wife and look at my wife and think about my wife. And what was important for me before I wrote the book was to realize this isn't just something that I promised or that I should aspire to, but it's something that can be learned. It can be chosen. And that's when I felt like there was a book in it, when I realized I can adopt a mindset, I can begin to develop a heart, and I can unleash certain practices that will create a cherishing marriage. Right. That's so important that you say it is something that we can learn and choose. So we really can get there. We can sort of mature into it if we keep trying and if we learn how to do it, which your book helps us to do. Um, what You talk about the differences between love and commitment, and you talk about how it goes way beyond commitment. And what are some easy ways that spouses can cherish each other? And do the ways, um, do they differ between men and women? I think they can. Oh, there are a lot of practices that are common for both husbands and wives. I think the first thing is just to make the commitment. This is what I promised I would do, and it's what I aspire to. Cherishing isn't easy, and it's not natural. And if we think of it as sort of extra credit for our spouse, most of us will give up. So I think we have to go back and remember this is part of our vows. I think, secondly, we have to own the choice that we made to get married. Uh, I talk in the chapter about having an Adam and Eve approach to your marriage, and by that I meant that one of the things that I think so impacted the marriage of Adam and Eve is that for a brief slice of time, Eve was literally the only woman in the world. There was no one that Adam could compare her to. He couldn't say, well, she's kind but not as intelligent as this one or as athletic as this one or as gentle as this one. She defined what a woman was to Adam as Adam defined what a man was to Eve. And so often what undercuts a cherishing attitude in marriage is that we compare our spouse's weaknesses with another spouse's strengths. But if we let our spouse define for us what a spouse is to be and to do, then that resets where we can be content so we can start to be thankful for what they are rather than fault them for what we're not. And so that Adam and Eve mindset is necessary to keep cherishing from leaking out of the relationship. In one sense, it, it plugs one of the biggest holes that stops cherishing. And then once we do that, there are a lot of positive practices that begin to develop a cherishing attitude. Right. The Bible talks about love a lot, but what does it say about cherish? What are some biblical examples of cherish to which you point readers in cherish? Well, I, I think the Bible begins with Adam and Eve, and I talk about how seeing each other as the only man or woman in the world is a necessary start to cherishing. Right. I use an example from Ezekiel chapter 16, where God first met Jerusalem. You know, we think of Jerusalem as this famous city. In Ezekiel 16, it's fascinating how Israel was nothing. She was it's depicted as a baby who was born and left to die by her parents, despised by her own mother or father. But God chose to have Jerusalem live. She became a marriageable age, and God entered into marriage with her. And then it just talks about how God indulges Israel with what she wore and with what she ate. And out of that, it says that she became a beautiful woman fit to be a queen. 
And in Lamentations 2.15, she's described as the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth. And so you see this person who was despised and abandoned and rejected, who is chosen and cherished. Part of cherishing is indulging. After that takes place, she's now not only fit to live, but fit to rule, and she gets a type of beauty that is famous throughout the earth. And so we see in Ezekiel 16 that God chose Jerusalem and loved her, not because she was lovable, but she became lovable as he cherished her, so that cherishing is a strategy. In large part, though, cherishing is a concept where you don't see a lot of the words appearing in Scripture. You do see it one time when Paul says husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves, and then he refers to, you know, no man despises his body, but he cherishes it. In the same way, we should cherish our wife. So I, I do think that notion is in there and that concept is in there. We just draw it from some other places. I also believe the Song of Songs is really a book of cherishing. Yes. It's often seen as talking about physical intimacy, but even more than it actually talks about the physical act, it's about two couples or two people celebrating each other, uh, enthusiastically praising each other, delighting in each other, and adoring each other. And so I go through a whole section there where I contrast 1 Corinthians 13, which is the most famous passage right. defining love, with passages from the Song of Song that elevate what I would say is a cherishing attitude in our marriage. Yes, you use that a lot. That's right. You use a lot of examples in the book and of what cherishing each other looks like and how it can be successfully done. And which one is your favorite and why? Well, there's one that I, I practiced last year that had a huge impact, and so it's kind of a favorite with mine. Uh, I stole this idea from another wife who did it for her husband, but throughout 2016, I began every day by opening up this red stationary journal. It had an empty page for every day of the year. And I began every day by thanking my wife for something she'd done the day before, so it'd be specific to that day. Sometimes it would be something I wanted to celebrate about her, but more, most often it was something that she had done that I wanted her to know I recognized and was grateful for. And what I was doing was basically showcasing my wife to myself. I talk in the book of Cherishing about learning to showcase your spouse to others. But before we have the motivation to do that, I often found it, it's helpful to showcase your spouse to yourself. And when I began every day, I mean, this was before my devotions, before I began a lick of work, I was opening up my heart and mind before God saying, Lord, what can I celebrate at my wife the previous day? It just started me on that process of celebrating my wife and being grateful for my wife. And it changed the way I prayed about my wife. I don't know that I asked God to change my life even once in 2016, because when you have a book that has collected literally hundreds of things that you can celebrate her for, asking God to change one more little thing just seems a little bit picky. And so I just found it to be a very helpful way to begin to build a, build a cherishing attitude for my spouse. Right. Throughout the book, you create an ongoing analogy. I love your analogies between cherishing your spouse and a couple's ballet dance. Yeah. Can you explain that and what each partner's yeah. role is yeah. and how we can each make the beauty in our partners seem more beautiful? 
Yeah, George Balanchine is uh, famous. Those who are into the dance community, I'm, I'm not. I, I had to research it as I was writing the book. But he's one of the more famous choreographers, Russian-born. Yes, and you know what? We're in the Hamptons, and he had a place, a condo in Southampton. No kidding. Yes. So you met him? Well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he passed but, away uh, before. But go ahead. But he coined the phrase, yes. the ballet is woman. And what he meant by that is that the best male dancers, at least in pas de deux, which is couples dancing, the best male dancers realize that people go to the ballet to see the ballerina. It's her strength, her beauty, her athleticism, her grace that steals the show. And so he's not trying to step in front of her. He's not trying to showcase his moves. He's there to sort of lift her up. And another dancer explained to me, Gary, in ballet like that, the male is the frame. And the ballerina is the picture. And I thought, what if we had that idea in marriage where we wanted to support our spouse? And it's not a sentimental thing. A, a male dancer has to know where the ballerina is weakest so that he can support her there, so that he can be extra careful there, not to criticize her, not to make her feel insecure, but basically to, to support her so that she can do more and be more. And with a male dancer who's sympathetic and knows her weaknesses but also knows her strengths that he can showcase, she can put on a performance with the man behind her and beside her that she could never do solo. And, and this isn't, though, in the dance community, it's the male doing it for the wife. You can flip it around, right. and a wife can have that same attitude toward her husband, where George Balanchine also added, my job is to make the beautiful yet more beautiful. And so cherishing is wanting to have that approach where you recognize the beauty in your spouse, but by cherishing them, being sensitive to where they're weak and supporting them where they're weak so that you can show their most excellent aspects, then they can become even more beautiful to others. Yes. How does our understanding of love help us better understand how to cherish someone? Well, they don't compete. They complement each uh -huh. other. It's possible to love someone without cherishing them. It's not possible to cherish someone without loving them. Without love, cherish would fade away. It would be like an infatuation. It would be a great ideal that wouldn't have the legs. It wouldn't have the strength to continue. We need the commitment the sacrifice, the selflessness of love that puts another person's needs above their own. But without cherish, love can feel like a duty more than a delight. It can focus on discipline more than on celebration. So I think that in many ways, uh, we could look at love as the bread of the relationship. It's what's nourishing. It's what provides a nurturing element. Cherish is the jam that makes every bite delicious and a delight to enjoy. Oh, that sounds good. In Cherish, you say it's more common for women to be dissatisfied in marriages than it is for men. Why do you think this is the case? You know, we recently did an interview and um, the author was saying how men are really interested in um, in just basic things like food and sex and cars. <laughs> do you think, yeah. I don't want them to be mad at me for saying that, but yeah. do you think women have too many high expectations rather than the basic ones that 
uh, some believe men have. I mean, why do you think? Well, yeah. what? It, why? Why is it that way? It, it, it's always a bit dangerous to stereotype genders because there are, of course, always exceptions. Of but course. in general, it is a fair and true statement to say that women tend to be more bent toward relationships than men. Wives tend to be more invested in the marriage than men. In this regard, men tend to get ego needs met often in their occupation, in their hobbies, uh, even, frankly, in the hometown sports team, where if all those other things are going well, they just don't need as much from their marriage. It's often more difficult for a wife to feel content if she feels disconnected in her marriage. And so the stakes do feel greater for the wife. It seems like it's easier for a husband to put up with less, if we could put it that way, uh-huh. than for the wife. So in Cherish, I'm really trying to equip husbands to recognize how much their wives want to be cherished, remind them that we promised them that we would cherish them on the day that we married them, and not just to settle for love. It's so often that that men will say, well, I promised I'd love you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. Well, cherishing goes so much more beyond that. In fact, one of the examples I have that that part of cherishing our wife is maintaining our curiosity for our wives, which is why I tell men we must put to rest forever. We must bury it, not six feet deep, 60 feet deep, the, honey, just please give me the Reader's Digest version, right? Yes. She, she wants to know we're curious about her. When we say just give me the Reader's Digest version, what we're saying is, all right, out of love, I have to listen to you, but I want you to make this as painless as possible. Cherishing would say, and why did you feel that way? Well, tell me more. Or what happened then? That's when she feels like we're involved and cherishing her. And if guys, if we men could understand that when we cherish a wife, uh, here's what surprised me, Sandy, that, that I didn't anticipate. I'll freely admit, I began to focus on cherishing my wife, one, because God reminded me I promised my wife would do it. And two, I believed I was called by God to really begin to focus on this. So at first, I started it out as an act of obedience. What caught me by surprise is that I found out cherishing my wife made me much happier in my own marriage. Yeah. It only makes sense. When you cherish the person you're married to, of course you're going to be a whole lot happier. So I didn't get into this to become happier, but that was the end result. And I think if a man will realize that, if we will begin to cherish our wives, it makes life so much sweeter. It colors all of our life. It's usually a strategy to release even greater beauty in our life. And most wives will really respond in a positive way. When they feel cherished, they come back. It can renew our marriage like I'd never realized it could when I first started on this journey. Right. When they feel cherished, they know they're loved, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But when they're loved, they don't always know they're cherished. (laughs) Or if you love, maybe you're forgetting to cherish. And um, it reminds me of this joke where um, a couple went to a psychologist and her problem, the wife's problem was that she said, when the psychologist asked her, the counselor said, what's the matter? And she said, he doesn't love me anymore. And the counselor said, you don't love her anymore? And he said, I love her. And she said, well, he doesn't act that way. Well, he said, listen, I told her I loved her years ago when we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll tell her. I'll let her know. (laughs) 
Right. Right. And that really is such a difference. And when you see that in the Song of Songs, that's not the attitude. In the Song of Songs, the wife is told how much the husband loves her, how the wife will make his heart stop, how he delights in her and literally cherishes her. And that's the context. That's the environment out of which marriage becomes its sweetest. Yes. In the book, you discuss making your wife the plumb line of beauty for yourself. What does that mean? And how is it critical to successfully cherishing each other? I began praying a prayer early on in my marriage. Um, I don't know why I prayed the prayer. I believe it was a gift from God. I hadn't heard anybody mention it. But I just began praying that God would make my wife my definition of the most beautiful woman in the world, that she would be the plumb line for beautiful women, that, that she is the center of what I, I should find most attractive. And God answered that prayer in a very powerful way to even today, if I find myself attracted at all someone, there's something about that person that reminds me of Lisa. I, I believe that sexual interest can be cultivated every bit as much as taste buds. You know, if you grow up in a different country, you desire something different for breakfast than if you grow up in this country. And I think the same thing when you train your mind on your spouse, they can become the very definition of beauty. And what I say in cherish and ask men to aspire to is Song of Songs chapter 6, verse 9, when the husband says to his wife, my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. And that's what every wife, I believe, wants to know, that there is something about her that her husband gets, that he delights in, that he values above all others. That's what we should aspire to. Not that our wife is just a little bit better compared to others, that there is even no comparison that we have trained ourselves to delight in her just as she is. That creates satisfaction for the husband because he gets to be married to the woman he delights in and, and desires above all else. And it creates great satisfaction and fulfillment for the wife who knows that regardless of how the world looks at her, her husband is enthralled with her beauty. Amen. In your book, you talk about the death spiral of a marriage. What exactly does that mean? And how does one prevent that from happening? And how can Cherish help? You also, um, you know, talk a lot about um, Dr. John Gottman's uh, research, of course. He's known as being able to look at a couple and say whether they're going to get divorced or not. And really, basically, I think it has something to do with you talk about, too, which is contempt. Yes. Could you say something about that death spiral? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the death spiral is when I talk about a marriage descending into contempt. Contempt is the opposite of cherish. Just as I believe apathy is the opposite of love, I would say contempt is the opposite of cherish. And I've seen this in a lot of couples, and it breaks my heart. I'll see couples on their wedding day just so affectionate and affirming and celebratory toward each other. Fifteen years later, here's a real case scenario, a couple that was at a dinner, and uh, the husband hadn't responded at all. He hadn't been a part of the conversation. He's rather a quiet kind of man. So I was just trying to bring him into the conversation, and I said to him, knowing what he did, well, don't chefs think such and such? And his wife jumped in before he could respond. He's not a chef. 
He's a cook. Yeah. And her husband said, he, he, he can call me a chef. She goes, no, she, no, he can't. Chefs prepare things. You, you just heat things up. Well, his job is that he prepares meals at a rest home, a nursing home for um, retired people. And, and the budget cuts are real. Sometimes he does have to heat some of the meals up instead of prepare them. But just to me as an objective outsider, it seems like a very noble calling, wanting to provide meals that nourish and are tasty to a demographic, frankly, that often gets ignored and not enough attention this day and age. But to his wife, for some reason, she just seemed concerned that I might give her husband more respect than was due. And I, and I just wondered, what is the purpose of this? She knew what he did before they got married. But what happens is, I believe, that if we're not actively cherishing our spouse, we're sliding toward contempt. I don't believe there's a status quo in marriage. And this is where I think a lot of husbands trip themselves up because they think, well, our marriage is okay, and if I don't do anything, it'll stay okay. Yeah. In my experience, it's the reverse. If we're not building our marriages, they're declining. They're either growing toward cherish or descending toward contempt. And that's why I think cherish is more than an ideal promise. I believe it's an essential strategy to keep calling us toward each other so we don't fall away from each other. Contempt isn't built in a day. It's not built in a week or even a year. It's just slowly growing cold toward each other, becoming disappointed in our marriage to the point where we start to have contempt for each other because we blame our spouse for having what we believe is a dissatisfying or even, you know, extremely contemptible life. And, and, and cherish helps us to celebrate our spouse. So it pulls us away from contempt by calling us to focus on the best parts of our spouse rather than the worst parts of our spouse. It's about showcasing our spouse to others like that male dancer with the ballerina yes. rather than pointing out her weaknesses. Right. Would you talk about the passive hurt? Of course, contempt comes into that, but you have a chapter on passive hurt and what we shouldn't do in marriage, and you bring into that invisibility and superiority. Would you talk about that, like the attitude of uh, Yeah, I'm not sure if this is what you're putting. But there was, there's a part where I talk about catching bids. Um, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, and also the cycle of superiority. That's another yeah. thing that's a big thing, I think, that's a problem, especially yeah. in the Christian community. One partner yeah, well, will consider, you know, being higher um, yeah. and superior to the other one, even spiritually. Yeah. Well, Jesus was always gentle and merciful toward repentant people who were weak. Yes. And he was always strong and truthful toward the self-righteous. Yes. And often, this is where as Christians we fall worse, is, is for self-righteousness. Um, right. But the Bible tells us in many passages, Romans 15 is one, but the strong must give way to the weak. And what Paul is saying is that the more mature must be more patient and kinder, kinder toward those yeah. who are less mature. 
and yet so often, and again, I don't want to gender stereotype, but it's often the woman will be a stronger Christian than her husband, right. and so she begins to disdain him for being less spiritually mature than she is. But Paul would say, well, actually, you're showing your own immaturity, because if you really were spiritually mature, you would have an attitude of nurture and concern, and you would try to serve this person. Right. And we have to remember that Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider quality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, and considered others as better than himself. Yes. Now, if Jesus could do that, there isn't a spouse alive that isn't able to have that same attitude. Because real spiritual maturity brings real humility, and humility wants to put others um, ahead of ourselves. Yes. Now, biblical humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking less about ourselves. And so superiority is born in, in large part by thinking, well, wouldn't our life be better if our spouse was more mature? Wouldn't my lot be easier if my spouse would do more of this and less of that? And what it means is that we're just thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about how we can cherish and encourage our spouse. Amen. If each reader could take away one thing from reading this book, what do you as the author hope that is? I would hope that every couple coming away from reading this book would remember we promise to cherish and that if we do cherish, it will bring a new delight to our marriage. It's a, it's a strategy that can be learned and it will bring a new delight into this lifelong relationship. Good. And Gary, could you let us know your website where our listeners can get Thank your you, book yes. and other resources? Yeah. I have a website which also contains a blog focused on marriage and also has some posts for singles, and it's www.garythomas.com. That's garythomas.com. I'm also on Twitter as Gary L. Thomas and have a Facebook page. If you look up author Gary Thomas is my Facebook page. So that'll list the books, the website. You know, you can read the first chapter and hear me talk about the book a little bit and just begin to get a feel of whether this is something that you feel would be a benefit to your own marriage. Okay, wonderful. I, we have to thank you again, as you always do. You bring us closer to our spouses and closer to Jesus. Thank you, oh, thank Gary. You so Bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Okay, bye right. now.